TEFL Commute, Season 5, Episode 2, in which we discuss games. everybody, welcome to another episode of the TEFL Commute. My name is Lindsay Clanfield, and we're doing something a bit different today. Not the first time, but we're doing a roundtable discussion with various TEFL Commute hosts. So before going around the table and asking everyone to introduce themselves, I'll just tell our listeners a little bit about what this is going to be. Uh, for a long time, we've wanted to do an episode on games in the classroom. But we found we had so much to say about this area that we're going to do a two-part episode. So this part of the episode is going to be games that are that are played in the classroom, but that are not digitally related. So if you like, this is the analog games episode. Uh, you'll see when we get started on a conversation what kind of games we'll be talking about. And then in the future, we'd like to do another episode, which is uh, about games, but more digital games and how they um, might impact or might be used in language classrooms. Okay, um, let's just quickly go around the table. Everyone inter uh, introduce themselves and uh, then we'll get started. So I'm Lindsay Clanfield. Who else have we got here? I'm Sean Wilden. Hi. Nobody I'm... else is here. Hi, I'm Kerry. And hello, I'm uh, producer James, back again. Have you, you've officially changed your name now? Yeah, you're actually it. called producer James. I'm going to call myself producer James from now on, yeah. Uh, it's okay. catchy, right? It's catchy. It's good that we actually have producer James on this show today because, in part, it was because of him that we are doing this show um, when in a previous episode uh, called Room 101, we all discussed what things, and I think there were four of us, the same four of us were all discussing what things we put in a Room 101, things that we don't like about ELT. And um, hey guys, how about I just queue up and play what James said, what he would put into Room 101. Sound good? Okay. Yep, go for it. Here's the situation, okay? We're getting towards the end of a unit or maybe towards the end of the course, and I need a nice review activity so that my students can, you know, before they have their test, they can do some revision of the key language points they've learned over the previous few weeks. And I open my teacher's book and I see a board game, which requires me to photocopy the board. Maybe I have need three sets of this because of the size of my class. And then I've got two different sets of cards and I have to photocopy all of them and sit there and cut them all out. And of course, if you don't have a laminator, then you're going to have to do all this again in three months because your students are going to make a right mess of all the cards. And it just takes forever <laughs> to, to go through, just like the dominoes, it takes forever to get the whole thing ready, to set it up, to explain the rules and everything. So... I, uh, I have no problem in theory with board games. Uh, I, I like them a lot, but the problem is just how they, if they could just be delivered to me, like, oh, here's your board game to play. Like, okay, thanks. But it's the fact that I have to like, sit there for like so what, hours. What, what, what? 
So, James, producer James, this is on you, this episode. Uh, well, you know, I'm happy to be inspirational, Lindsay. What can I say? Well, it, it's one of those one of those statements that you've not quite lived down, though, is it? Given that all three of us are gamers in one sense or another, then all three of the sorry, Kerry, didn't mean to leave you out there because because James, James, Lindsay, and I spend a lot of time sending messages to each other about games. So it, his statement was pretty much outrageous when he said it in room one hundred and one. So yeah. <laughs> I, I like to provoke. What can I say? Like... Well, you certainly did. I Sorry. did. In fact, there wasn't there even someone wrote a blog post about this, didn't we? Oh, um, yes, no, yeah, yeah. Naomi no, no Epstein in, how decided wrong you to were. put me in my so, place. And I, as I said, I was happy to inspire ideas and conversation. Yes. It reminds me of that saying how to start a fight on the internet. Give an opinion, wait. <laughs> Let's start with a very simple, but actually maybe more difficult than it sounds, question. What is a game? For example, like when does something stop being an activity and become a game? Because I think there's a lot of like gray area in ELT of you could say lots of things to an outsider looking, they, they think it's it's a game. Or is it a game or an activity? I Googled this. <laughs> I Googled this. Can I open this? Um, so I Googled uh, what is a game? What defines a game? And um, thegamesjournal.com says a game must have game rules, a goal, that the course of the game is never the same, i.e. there's an element of chance, and there must be competition. How about that? I was thinking about competition as being the difference between an activity and a game, the competitive element. I don't know what you think about that. Well, you can't have cooperative games, though, can't you? I mean, not in not necessarily... In- well, I could think, maybe think of ELT examples, but there are cooperative games. But is cooperative games, isn't a cooperative game, isn't the competition uh, to better yourself next time you play it kind of thing? Or against the game itself, isn't it? Isn't it kind of beating the strategy of the game or whatever? I can't think of one in EFL at the moment. I can think of ones outside of EFL. Yeah, I mean, so can I, because you're usually competing against the game mechanic in a board, yeah, a cooperative board game, yeah. But um, what is interesting, the, the, the article from which I got that, uh, that those criteria begins, a game is any activity, <laughs> and then it continues. So, <laughs> uh, what, what's an activity? What's the difference? Activity in a game. Is a running dictation a game or an activity? Activity. And, and, and pointless. And, and completely pointless as well. Because <laughs> I, I would say it's an activity as well. Although to an outside person, they might say it's a game. There's an element of competition. There are rules. I suppose there's an element of chance in that you have a chance of like... And there is a goal, I guess. There's a goal. It's a game in the same way that something like Pass the Parcel or, you know, that kind of game is a game, you know? I think it's similar to that kind of thing. Okay, well, how about... Why don't we approach this from another direction then? What games, regardless of the definition, what (laughs) games, the things that you think of as games, are your favorite go-tos in class? Like, what kind of things do you do you do uh, that you would consider a game? I'll start off this one. So, for example, one game that I've, I've often used before, a vocabulary game of back to the board. Everybody knows it. It's like that or hot seat where one person is sitting in the uh, – one person from a team comes up and sits in a chair and I write a word behind them. They can't see it, but uh, their teammates can and their teammates have to shout out the definitions and the person in the chair has to guess the word. 
and they have a certain amount of words that they have to try to get through in a, a space of what a minute or two, and then it's the other team's turn. So that's one. Uh, anybody else have games that they really like that they go to? With um, young learners, there's stuff like Kim's game, um, where you have a tray of objects, or I mean, they, they can also be phrases on the board if you want. And the idea is that you close your eyes, one of them disappears, you open your eyes, which one has gone. Um, I think you know, so that's something that kids will think of as a game, whether or not it actually comes under our game definition, I don't know. And another favourite of mine is Pelmanism, with any kind of matching stuff, whether it's picture to word, question to answer, um, verb to regular past or whatever, those kind of games as well, young learners, and well, I think adults as well sometimes will, will while away some time with vocabulary cards and Pelmanism. Okay. <laughs> that would surely be considered a game because it comes from the famous book Kim by Rudyard Kipling. Ah, and if you, just just to add to that, that book was written in 1901, and the game was uh, in the in the book itself. The game was designed to train spies. I'm going to share that with the. I'm going to share that with my kids next time. Yeah. I, I I never realized it was called Kim's Game until I became a teacher. Actually, <laughs> so it appeared in a, one of those recipe books somewhere. I was like, oh, that's what it's called. Um, I would add my uh, go-to game. I would do back to the. I would. Uh, it's kind of variations on on back to the board or hot seat. So uh, it's uh, so uh, to make it a bit difficult, combine it with taboo. So there are certain words they can't say when they're describing mm -hmm. the word. Uh, and I also quite sim for me, I quite like simply having teams line up in front of the whiteboard, giving everybody a whiteboard uh, marker, and you know, running and writing words on the board. Uh, well, interesting. We, they're pretty much all vocabulary games that we've just come up with there, isn't it? That's true. I don't understand your running and writing game when you just said that a running dictation was utterly pointless. A running dictation, but that is utterly pointless. That's just pointless busyness. Uh, a running dictation is like, let's cut up pieces of paper and stick them all around the world, around the room uh, and then run and try and memorise it. So it kind of takes the focus off the dictation part to me. You, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter if you want to comment about this, listeners. <laughs> next time, next time we do Room 101, I'll, uh, I'll bring running dictation to Okay, the Sean, just prepare, prepare yourself, okay? Because I've been there and... Yeah, so yeah, I can, expect, oh, oh, expect I, now you're going to get told off, okay? Oh, well, Just, I mean, if it inspires an episode on dictation, so be it, because dictation itself is one of my favorite things in the classroom. So, uh, so Sean is, while Sean pivots, uh, James, do you want to uh, <laughs> tell us a go to. <laughs> Well, as you know, I'm famous for my love of games in the classroom. So of all the games I had to choose from, um, I, I don't know if you were, again, is this a game or is this an activity? But with a, um, some uh, 11 and 12-year-olds I was teaching last year, they loved uh, to play. Um, I went to the supermarket and I, you know, just oh, as, a, a, as a kind of warmer uh, thing. So they just, you know, when they go around and they have to add items to the shopping list and then have to remember everything everyone else has said. And it's one of those things that's been around forever and I was amazed by how much they... Every they were like, oh, can we play this? That can we play the supermarket <laughs> teacher? I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, no problem. So, so that was one that uh, I like doing. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure it's overburdened with pedagogical quality. No, but, but it reminds me. I think, I think to be, I think what I've learned as a teacher, it, the, the, there are two things that make, the, there are two things that, from life experience that are good for games. Kid stuff, like uh, things you learn as a kid. So, like, I went to supermarket as a game I learned as a child, you know, one of those car games, along Absolutely, with I, yeah. I Spy and those kind of things. So all those games we learned as kids are really useful ELT things. 
And secondly, any television quiz show becomes a good ELT game. Oh, yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> Jeopardy? Has anyone done their own version of Jeopardy? Uh, do you Absolutely. know Jeopardy yeah. British people? Or uh, yeah, yeah, I think one of the first one of the first uh, I I, uh, I I actually always got on Jeopardy when I was eighteen uh, for real. Um, but um, yeah, no, I I think one of the first training sessions, even before I sort of moved into training, was which I did in, as a in, in school workshop was on changing games for uh, changing quizzes into games, and they all were Jeopardy, Wheel of Fortune. Uh, in the UK, we have Countdown, which is yeah. yeah, anagram game. Uh, who wants to be a millionaire? I mean, there's actually there's there there is a website now which have all these things as templates that you can just download and use, can't they? But back up there, back up there, are people listening. I found that websites like that as well. I don't know the name of the site itself unless you have it to hand, Sean. Super teacher tools. Super teacher tools have templates for various games, um, and I think they're PowerPoint ones, aren't they? Yeah, so they've got PowerPoint, they've got a Jeopardy, and they've got Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, and those kind of things on it. But uh, we'll put some more on the website. Welcome to Timeline, the TEFL commutes on the move game for teachers. Okay, in order to play Timeline, you need to draw yourself a mental timeline. We've all used timelines in the classroom. Get the pen, draw a line. Over here on the left is usually the past, moving towards the right is the future, with somewhere with a little cross or an intersection for now in the middle. So draw yourself that mental timeline now. Great, so you're almost ready to play, so all you need now is a topic. And in keeping with today's episode, the topic is board games. Yes, obviously, in an episode where we talk about board games, the timeline naturally is going to be about that subject. So in this timeline, I'm going to give you a number of games and you have to put them in the correct order of their invention. So did chess come before Scrabble or did Pictionary come before them both? It's time to find out. So if you're ready, let's play Timeline. Here we go then. Remember, you're putting the games in order of invention. So the oldest game will be the first one in your timeline, and the one closest to now will be the newest one. And so to get us underway, here is our first game, and it's that game that inspires many lessons of modal verbs for dedu deduction. It's Cluedo. Our second game to add to the timeline is Scrabble. How about adding snakes and ladders? few more left now let's add trivial pursuit what about the game senate or sometimes called the game of passing how about pictionary and finally where would you put chess so that's seven games in total cluedo scrabble snakes and ladders trivial pursuit senate chess and pictionary thinking time Okay, how do you think you did? It's time for some answers. As usual with timeline, not as easy as you might think it is. Seven games, one mark for each in the correct order. Seven marks is what you're aiming for to feel smug for the rest of the day. So what was the first game I hear you ask? Well, the oldest game on the list was, uh, it's believed to be uh, invented around 3100 BC, and that is the game of Passing or Senad. And it was found within the uh, Egyptian pyramids uh, when they started um, es excavating those. No one's quite sure of the rules, but they know it's played on a grid of 30 squares in three rows of 10 and uses pawns. So your first game, 
is Senat. The second game on your list, this will probably surprise you, the second oldest game of the seven we gave you is Snakes and Ladders. Yes, that's right, Snakes and Ladders. Originated in India in 200 BC, it is a morality game which was designed to teach children about good and evil. The version that you probably know actually dates back from 1943, which was called Shoots and Ladders. However, for the sake of the timeline, 200 BC, Snakes and Ladders. Coming a little bit more forward in time, but still a long time ago, we go back to India for in uh, the year 6 AD to get chess. And that's when chess is first documented. So our first game was Senate, our second game was Snakes and Ladders, our third game is chess, our fourth game is uh, Scrabble, which um, was originated in 1938 by Alfred Butts, but actually was brought to market in 1948 by James uh, Brunot. However, whichever date you, you've chosen, that is the next game on our timeline. Just one year later, our fifth game is on the timeline, and that is the modal verbs game of Cluedo. Yes, it was Reverend Green, and it was with the lead piping uh, in the study. Um, two to go, and so our next game, so the, the second youngest game on the timeline, is Trivial Pursuit. And that was... Uh, or that originated in Canada in 1979. And finally, another classroom staple, the youngest game on our timeline is Pictionary, which was in 1985. So there you have it, seven board games and in the order, going back from 3100 BC right up to 1985. And join us again in a future podcast episode for another edition of Timeline. We now return to your regular programming. Well, there are some famous books in our field that were about games. And the one I've got one right here. And I, I was amazed that when we were talking before the show started, James said he didn't know it because I'm sure lots of our listeners will. But maybe... You have to be of a certain age? I don't know. Grammar <laughs> Games by Mario Winvalukri was... That's is, my favorite. It's definitely. my favorite book. Although lots of them, I don't even know if they're really games so much. Well, yeah, I think those are... I was just thinking when you said Grammar Games, I, mean, I think that's where I learnt um, the vanishing sentence, where you put the sentence on the board and take words out of it. Of it. And I wouldn't call that a game. I would, that, that, for me, is an activity. A lot of these are just really cool activities, I thought. But, but, but the fact that it was called Grammar Games 1 meant that it probably sold way more copies and was the kind of thing that I just was... It was published in 1984. Wow, so long ago. Uh, by Cambridge University Press. I've got a first edition here, actually. It's the green cover. And then it was picked up by somebody else afterwards. But, um, any, uh, Carrie, do you know this one as well? I do, yeah, yeah. That's one of my staples. When I, I actually started teaching two years after the book was published, so it's kind of been with me, I think most of my teaching career. I you're, still dip into it. You're making me feel very young. I'm enjoying this. Say, no, James is just say, dying to I say, say I was... I'm probably the elder at the table as well as being the non-gamer. There are lots of labels today. <laughs> um, what favorite games of yours was were in uh, Grammar Games, uh, Kerry? I like a lot, as well as the Grammar Games, I like a lot of the dictation games, which again, is there's that question about is the dictation a game or is it an activity? And um, this isn't really a game, but it's more that thing of, um, do you know the one with the, 
dubious sentences as to whether they're true, false, or you don't know. And actually, it's a little bit more like a kind of a lateral thinking game. So you have to, you, the, the teacher dictates a sentence, um, something like he made a father of me, for example, and then... Um, and and you have to say, does this have does this make any sense? Does it not make any sense? Does it go in the no sense uh, column, the yes sense column, or somewhere in the middle? And then you have to debate as to whether or not you've put it in the right column and give the sentence sense by thinking of a context where um, where uh, it would make sense. And that one's one of my favourites. And now I can't think of a good example of the sentences. But that's that's definitely an activity. No, I'm not. No, I'm not, I'm not an activity, not a game for me. Uh, but. Um... Just going back to where we started. You get, but you get points for if you can persuade the rest of the class that your sentence in, does have sense, even though they think it's nonsensical. That's where the points come in. It's kind of a persuasion. Has anyone ever played Grammar Tennis? That was from Grammar Games. Do you remember that one? No, you have to explain that one for me. Student A serves a word. So if you do it with verbs, <laughs> I'll play it with you, James. I'm going to serve the past participle. Then you have to respond with the simple past and I hit it back to you with the simple present. So I'm going to serve gone. Now you have to answer with, what do I have to answer with? Simple past. <laughs> simple, oh my gosh. I oh, thought it was oh, only went, went, go. And then now, now, now it's my service again. I'm going to serve, uh, become, uh, uh became, <laughs> Uh, my gosh, I thought it was only my elementary students that would have trouble with this game. Obviously, it's more challenging. I was role-playing. I was role-playing, obviously. <laughs> I, I actually get my students up and hold the racket in their hand when they play that. They're pretending they're holding a racket. and They knock it to each other across the class. Yeah, because you can do it. I always did it with verbs, but I'm just looking at it again. You can do it with um, language and nationality tur country, so Turkish, Turk, Turkey. Uh, adjective, comparative, superlative. Adjectives, yeah. yeah. You could re you could remove the restrictions as well and just use it as a as a kind of free, uh, almost revision or brainstorming activity. You know, so you give them the topic, so jobs, and then they lose the point. So they serve to each other and keep saying jobs, and they hit it across the net. But as soon as somebody hesitates too long or forgets, then the, the, it goes like fifteen love to the. Yeah, or they've run it. out of jobs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you could kind of you could. It was, again, I think it was a good starting point and then moving on from it. Um, well, another famous book in our field about games was a series of books by Jill Hadfield and Jill and Charles Hadfield, Elementary Communication Games, Intermediate Communication Games, also affectionately known as the yellow photocopyable book and the pink mm -hmm. photocopyable book and the blue one. Anyone play with any of those? Anyone did any of those? Uh, you know, I did, uh, but I, the very, I guess they were became a they were a, a staple of my early early teaching career, and I was kind of racking my brain to try and remember what was in them, and I, I I think I've forgotten most of what was in them. I took a look at them recently, and what I was struck by was the sheer amount of cutting up. Now I did do a lot of them, but there was a lot of cutting up, and also, yeah. also there was things like. You know, for like I was teaching at the time when I was using this was often I was teaching in a, a private academy. So I didn't have very large classes. So lots of the really fun activities were sort of like uh, you need, uh, you know, for every 18 students, if you have more than 18 <laughs> students, have two sets of cards, like for a class of 36, which I know some teachers have. But I had like six or seven. So lots of the really fun kind of elaborate games in my memory I couldn't do because I didn't have like 12 or 18 or whatever. 
there was a really cool mystery murder game i remember yeah 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 <laughs> and there was another one which was like a, a storytelling game where which was like fairy tale story elements so you would lay down a card like a dragon and then you'd have to tell the story beginning with the dragon and someone would put down the castle card and would continue the story like that those were great games yeah that's a film of, that's from writing games i think isn't it yeah and i remember the neighbors one where you had to work out where everyone lived on the street and you had like the map of the street. I think that one you could do with eight because it was that it was a question, wasn't it? Of, oh, which ones can I actually use with my class of eight students? Yeah. I remember using that one over and over. <laughs> and you spent all that time preparing it and then you realize one student's away that day or something. <laughs> I, I've just looked. I've just looked up to see if you could still buy them on a, on a, uh, the uh, instant delivery site that there is. And uh, elementary communication games is selling for sixty three pounds ninety one pence at the moment. Wonderful, great. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I think uh, the one that I think we were talking about uh, just before the podcast. I think the one that kind of supplanted all that, and perhaps because it is newer, is pronunciation game Hancock, uh, Mark Hancock's book, pronunciation games, and. Uh, and I think that was a great uh, because I think there's also that was a, that that was an area where a lot of teachers feel insecure, uh, and so just a whole book of photocopyable games that you could focus on pronunciation was was a was a, a, a really good idea. And for me, uh, the journey, the is it, I don't know, the one where you have to go left or right is my favourite. Uh, do, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, that's my favourite in training sessions as well. Is the journey? Yeah. Now, as I said, you know, I'm not big on particularly big on games but i would say that this book is if i had to recommend like i don't know a top 10 or top five books that every teacher would should it be have, your dessert island book james it might be one of them i don't know maybe we'll find out one day when someone else pulls out to the last minute um, and um but uh yeah i um i think it's brilliant and i really like the minimal pairs bingo because it's so good and making students aware of the, just making them aware of the idea of minimal pairs. And so getting them to hear the difference between bad and bed and, and bet and so on. I've, I've used that a lot. And, and you can see that kind of realization in students' faces as they're playing. Definitely. I've seen, I mean, yeah, no, that is a definite classic. And I think it's more, one of the, it's one of the probably the most recent, really popular books that had games in the title. And even then, I'd probably say it's around at least 15 years old now. It must be, yeah, yeah, if not more. More than 20, maybe, I think. Yeah. I I think the the good thing about the pronunciation games is that that short items are fine, because what worries me a little about the stuff like the tennis and whatever is just this practicing of single words and not having a context for them and... Whereas with the pronunciation, it is sounds. It's uh, it's individual sounds that they're practicing, and somehow I feel more comfortable with it there. 1995. Wow. My gosh. Well, to me, that feels like it was... I can remember it coming into our school library. Wow, when it's 22. How old are we? Jeez. <laughs> have, anyone, have any of you ever played non-ELT games in class, like board games? I know there are ELT versions of board games, like Snakes and Ladders yeah. that jumps to mind, or, or one where you just move around a board uh, and there are questions on each square and you just roll a dice and kind of move around. So that, that that's another classic one, and teachers often make those. But what about, like, like, like let's put uh, inverted comma, real games that you yeah. play in class, not digital, but, uh, but board games. So, for example, I used to play... Boggle? Did anyone? Has anyone? I played that with like. Yeah, Boggle, Scrabble, Banana Grams, those kind of things. Yeah. Anyone else? 
Well, I haven't played it myself, but I know it's very popular at my school, which is that, and I don't know what it's called, but it's that uh, game where you stick someone's name on your head and then you, uh, they have to try and guess, you know, you have to try and guess which... That's an ELT one, or is that a, is there a real game like Well, that's, isn't it a party? It's a real game. It's a that's real, a real it's a party game. game. Yeah, there's a digital version of that, which I want to come to in the next episode. All right. Um, a game that, a, re- a, a real game, which is probably, again, going back 20-odd years ago, and you probably, uh, I doubt that you can play it so easily anymore, was a game called Pass the Bomb. Um, <laughs> Pass the yes. Bomb. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and it was uh, the bomb. Essentially, it, the, the, so the the game, the, the the real life game, and the way you play in the classroom is exactly the same. So there's a it, there are a set of cards, and each card has a, a letter on it, and you basically have to say a word beginning with that letter. Yeah. So if it's S, you say school or sure, those kind of things. And there's a there is a plastic bomb, and you press the button underneath, and it started ticking. And essentially, the bomb was a random timer. So, so it would it could last for ten seconds. It could last for a minute. And as you said, as you said, your third, you pass the bomb around the the circle. And when the bomb went off, if you you were the one that 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 the bomb went off, or with with uh, you gained the card. And when the one with the least amount of cards won the game. But it was it was a good. I um I, I think my pen. I come from a family of of we've I've played games since I was near high to a grasshopper. So it was one of these things my dad had, and I was like immediately saw how it could be used in the classroom. But I guess you can't really walk into it. I don't know. How 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 in our current environment walking into the classroom and say let's pass the bomb today uh, <laughs> might not could be. just be an alarm on your phone yeah. or yeah something, yeah exactly guess, complete, complete. Okay. you don't need You'd have like a, a ringtone or something yeah. instead of an exploding. I, I always bomb. liked it because when it came out in the Czech, Czech Republic, it was called Tic Tac Boom in Czech, which, <laughs> nice. is, which is a nice way. And if yeah. I, I was gonna say I've got a I've got another one which was just this random game that was left in our school which was called compatibility and I and I looked it up on the internet last night to see if it still existed and it was a really interesting game because the idea was to find out how compatible you were with the person sat opposite you so for example if I was sat opposite James and you were sat opposite Kerry there'd be a topic which might be teaching and you'd have a whole stack of cards which have different images or words on and you would have to choose um, a certain number of cards that you associated with that topic and lay them on the table face down and then when it was your turns go you turn over the cards and every time you matched you got points but it was quite interesting in there for as in uh so that was a real game and of course that would cause a whole manner of divorces and breaks up partnerships when when the partners weren't compatible but in the classroom it was really good for discussion why did you choose this card what what was your association with it so that was another game that i played quite a lot um certainly when i worked in the school in the jet republic Producer James here with a quick message to say thank you for listening to the podcast. If you'd like to show your support for the show, then you can help us in just a minute and it won't cost you a thing. Head over to your social media platform of choice, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, Instagram or whatever, and let people know how much you enjoy the show. With your help, we can reach even more teachers. Okay, on with the show. Did you have a game, Lindsay? You, you mentioned kind of Boggle. Um, yeah, I mean, I played I played various different kind of card games, Boggle and things like that. More recently, and I haven't played it yet, but there are a couple of games that I'm itching to play with students. I think I'm probably going to say the same game here. There's a couple of really good ones out. Um, one which is relatively new that was being written about a lot is one called Spyfall. And Spyfall is a game, uh, so basically it's a series of cards and everybody, if we, if the four of us were playing, everybody gets a card with a place on it. And we all know there's a list of places, so everybody can see the list of places. And we all get the same place. Let's say 
a cathedral or a casino or a cruise ship or, I don't know, um, the Eiffel Tower. But one person has a card that is the spy. Now, the spy doesn't know where everyone else is, and everyone else doesn't know who the spy is. So, And then we have to talk, and the objective for the spy is to guess where they are, and the objective for everyone else is to catch the spy out in a lie. Right. So we also, for example, if we were in a casino and I knew that I'm in a casino, I might ask Carrie, so Carrie, have you won any money tonight? But probably wouldn't because then it would maybe tip the spy off that we are in the casino because the minute the spy says, I know where we are, are, then um, then if they're wrong, everybody else wins a point. If they're right, they win. They they win like a lot of points. Um, but I've, I guess so. That with the more the more people that are involved in the game, the better in that case. Oh yeah, I mean that's that's a great game with like eight people, um, eight or ten people, and everyone is asking questions. So you're asking questions, um, but everyone has to listen very carefully because they're trying to find out who the spy is, and the spy is trying to listen carefully to the questions to guess where they are. That's one that I would really. I th- yeah, I think you and I have the same other game when you say the second game. I th- uh, Which is Mafia. Oh, no, we don't then, because I was going to say co- I was going to say Codenames, because that, for me, Codenames is... Codenames, I've seen it, but I haven't played it. Oh, my word, what a game. The moment we started playing it, it was like, apart from this is so much fun, it's just like, this this would work in the classroom. It is, and that's genuinely one of the, my, the best games I've played in the last year or so. By uh, the way, just for our listeners, Spyfall and Codename are two very new games compared to the other ones that we were talking about, Boggle, Scrabble, <laughs> things like that. These are the kind of from a new generation of parties. Codenames was the game of the year. I think it was voted game of the year last year or the year before, maybe. But that's fabulous. So it's it's actually it fits into the idea of spies. Uh, So I said basically, you uh, there are there's a grid of words on the table. You have a I can't remember five by five grid, I think. Uh, of hand and you play in, you play in teams so minimum people of two but there could be more in a team um, and one person is 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 trying to give clues to which words belong to your team uh, without trying to give away which is the spy card and you could but you could only use one word to try and give them a definition of, of the cards on the table so it sounds a bit convoluted but it's really simple and really really good fun and as you get as you, you start off basically just like trying to hope the person gets one card but the more you play it you try and think of words that would give away two or three cards in one go it's really really good vocabulary i very much recommend it i know i mean you're a gamer anyway Lindsay. so i recommend it as a game to play in in real life as well completely if we're talking about modern games then uh i think we have to mention has anyone played cards against humanity with the students ah i wondered if that was going to come up i have played it i would never play it with students but do you want to tell us a little bit about cards against humanity james well, it, the, if I, I've only played it once, but as I, as I remember, you you get you get a hand of cards, and each one has got a um, uh, just a set of like random situations and answers on it, and then you're uh, you basically you have to provide an answer to a question uh, and, from and within person, your cards. From within your cards, so it could be just like some completely random, bizarre answer, or it could actually kind of make sense, and you've got to try and impress. The person who at that turn is is judging, and uh, and so they might, and it's completely arbitrary. They might just they just decide which one they like the most. It might make them laugh, oh. or cringe, or you know, or 
or offend them in a way they enjoy because it's pretty full on. Why, why is he called? Why is he called uh, cards against humanity? Well, because the combinations, the combinations. So you might get a question, something like, "What were like the question would be, what were Michael Jackson's dying words?" And then everyone has cards, and then they have to play one of the cards that they think would impress the person asking the question the most. The thing is, is that many of the cards might be things like, well, I don't want, like, they'll be very inappropriate. They would be things that juxtaposed with that question seem very inappropriate or... Ah, okay. The reason I ask is it sounds exactly the same in concept to the game Apples, Apples to Apples. Ah, I've heard that as well, yeah. Which, which, is, which I would play with students, which is it, it's the same thing. It's basically there's a, a random topic and you have a set of cards and you have to choose the card that you think the person would think best fits that topic uh, each time round, which, which is essentially the same set of rules, but uh, much less convoluted cards. And that's a, that's a great little party game, but it would work very well in the, in the ELT classroom, especially if you're asking people to justify why they chose the cards. Yeah, there's a game that kind of flips that with pictures. Do you know Dixit? Yes, I've heard of that as well, yeah. It's really, really pretty for a start. The cards are really pretty. And basically, it's kind of the other way around, is that you've got in your hand six different image cards. And then you tell a little story with one of your cards. And everybody else has got image cards as well. They have to decide which of their cards best fits your story and then everybody puts the cards uh, gives the cards to the storyteller the storyteller shuffles them around puts them down on the table and everyone has to vote for which card they think was the one that originated the story um and then you can get points if people vote for your card but you didn't originate the story because you picked such a good card that went so well with the story so it's kind of a very rich um, meanings and images and vocabulary yeah. game in there as well and the, and it's gorgeous kind of aesthetically it's something that's just so pleasing to play with i'm going um, to go to a certain site and have a look at ordering that now yeah <laughs> here's a, the cards against humanity if you look online you find examples of them so here's an example the question would have been what are my my parents hiding from me and then someone plays the card harry potter erotica as an example of like <laughs> oh, juxtaposition right. right my word so so basically we all actually need to stop recording the podcast over uh various internet means get together and have a gaming day yeah well let's finish our it? let's finish our round table though with our opinion on games as if we were doing a, a like games Useful or not in the classroom? Just a quick uh, yes or no, and you can qualify it if you want. We will finish with James. Uh, Sean, why don't you start? Um, yes, very much so. Can you qualify that a bit? Yes, I think I think games, from whichever end of the scale, the simple revision games that we've talked about at the beginning to these more full-on games are all have great purpose in the classroom. Uh, uh, and... And um, I think are much more more interesting sometimes than other material. Uh, authentic, fun, generate language. Is that enough justification for you, Lindsay? I <laughs> think so. Think? I think so. Let's move on to Kerry. Kerry, what do you say? Okay, yeah, I'm a yes as well, although probably in moderation. But yeah, definitely bring in games from time to time. I wouldn't say I'd have them in every single lesson. Okay. I'm going to also give a... Actually, probably an almost unqualified yes, because I think play is an important part of language learning um, that is, can often be overlooked. Uh, there are problems with games, but I think they can be easily surmounted. I'd agree you don't have games all the time, but it's an important part of the lesson. Um, James, the final call rests with you. 
Your yours is worth three points. <laughs> I feel like it all hinges on this, you know. Like, it, um, well, yes, of course, but with two provisos. One is uh, there has to be a, a good reason for doing it, even if it's just a warmer. That's fine, but there has to be a reason for doing it, not just because it's fun. And the second reason is, uh, second thing is, I don't want too much preparation. There you go. <laughs> there you go. James has spoken. So we will let uh, the rest of our listeners decide for themselves if we've made a convincing case for games or not. Uh, we'll put links uh, to all of the games that we mentioned. Um, as you may, as you were listening, there may be a few things that you think, oh gosh, I'd really like to play that, or what was that book? We'll put links to all of these in the show notes. Uh, if you have a favorite game or, uh, that you would like to share with us, you can find us on our Facebook page or at the Temple Commute or at our Twitter page or, or on Twitter or at our website, www.tufflecommute.com. Well, anyway, thank you, everybody, for joining us. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, James. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for joining us james you're welcome it's all it's been very enjoyable although it has been a bit analog so i'm going to go off and get my virtual reality headset on now oh I'll, I'll talk to you about that after the podcast james yes and in <laughs> fact that's that reminds me we will be doing another episode on games uh maybe a different in a slightly different format where we will be addressing the whole digital world of games and how that connects to the language classroom but in the meantime uh, this has been the Tuffle Commute, a podcast for language teachers that's not about language teaching, although it continually comes up. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. Bye. 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 As your commute is coming to an end, here's an idea you can try out in your classroom. The aim of this activity is for the students to make a revision board game. This idea requires some large sheets of paper and coloured pens, so make sure you have them at hand. You'll also need some gaming equipment such as counters and dice. After putting the students into small groups, ask them to come up with at least 20 questions to revise part of their course. This could be questions about topics in their course book, vocabulary related questions and so on. Once the students have come up with their questions, the next step is for them to design their game board. Give each group a piece of paper and the coloured pens and ask them to come up with a design for a board for their game. How many squares will be in the game? Will there be any traps? How does a person win? Finally, they should write down the rules of their game. When each group is ready, swap games and let each group play. You can find the instructions for these activities at our website, www.tefelcommute.com. You've been listening to The Tefl Commute, an original podcast produced and presented by Lindsay Clanfield, Sean Wilden and James Taylor. Don't miss out on any episodes by subscribing to us on iTunes and by visiting us at www.tefelcommute.com.